This episode of Three Clips is sponsored by Casted. Casted is our presenting sponsor for all of marketingshowrunners.com, and they sponsor this show in particular because they're building the world's first platform for marketers who make podcasts. Here's the deal. We're living through this era where shows can be either side projects for brands that die really quickly, or they can become this powerful central figure in all of your marketing because of this powerful way of serving your audience more deeply. Casted believes in the vision of the future that is the latter situation. They want those shows, our shows, to be central to our marketing. The problem is there's a lot to get done with your show and very little insight into how the show is working, but there's a lot of value bottled up in each episode. So to manage, activate, and measure your show, check out casted.us to learn more about their software and tell them we sent you, casted.us. So there's this really odd trend I've picked up on among especially marketers who host shows, but this really extends to anybody who hosts a podcast. The trend is that it seems like there's an implied understanding that to make a podcast, you have to necessarily talk to another person. Either you have guests on your show and do an interview, or you tell a story that requires you to go and get some subjects quotes, or you have a co-host. But nowhere does it say you have to talk to another person to make a show. In fact, there is an amazing format for your episode, a scripted monologue type format, which can be really, really great. And I have no idea why more people aren't exploring it. So today we dissect exactly that type of show because I just want to put on display how much power is in this format, if you can do it well. Welcome to Three Clips. I'm Jay Akunzo, the founder of Marketing Showrunners. And on Three Clips, the official show of MSR, we try to understand great podcasts a few little pieces at a time. If you're new here, Marketing Showrunners is an education company that's focused on helping makers and marketers find and share their voices and make a difference through their podcasts. So we provide things like our blog, our weekly newsletter, this show, and an emerging series of online interactive cohort-based workshops. Learn more at marketingshowrunners.com. All right, let's get into this episode about the scripted monologue format. That's one person reading a script or at least performing something that's mostly written out ahead of time. So to really understand this format and dive into the nuances of it, producer Tally Gabriel went on the hunt for a great show that does this. So Tally's here right now. What show are we exploring today? All right, so the show is called Dear Young Rocker. And it's created by Double Elvis, which is a media company that creates podcasts and experiences for those who can't resist the rebel yell. That's their wording. (laughs) But I saw that and loved it. Who can't Um, resist the rebel yell. So being in a band, you probably saw the company and were like, yeah, okay, my people. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I saw this and was like, what is this? It was very exciting. And then I started listening to the show, which is about Chelsea Urson who is the creator and host. She's a bass player who grew up feeling out of place. In the show, she addresses her younger self as well as any current young people or the younger selves of any listeners who understand what it means to wish to be invisible around your your peers because you don't fit in. By the way, for listeners, you're getting an insight into our process over here creating three clips because Tally and I had planned to do this episode 
probably two, three weeks ago. And after we assigned this project and decided we were doing it, I actually reached out to Chelsea, not to talk to her about the fact that we were doing this episode about her show, but to ask her if she'd like to be a producer on our show, because I think she's wildly talented. And I know the folks over at Double Elvis pretty well. So Chelsea is now a producer on Three Clips. And also we're doing a show about her show. So it's incredibly meta. We're like just chasing our own tails deeper and deeper into our own little bubble here. But like we're podcasting about a podcast, the podcast host of which is going to help me, a podcast host, podcast about podcasts by being a producer on our podcast about podcasts. Incredible. Yes. Um, (laughs) But I was so excited to hear this show because I related to it in a lot of ways as also someone who was an awkward middle schooler who fell in love with music as a way of self-expression. I was like, I can't believe I'm listening to this right now because obviously a lot of our experiences are different. We're different people. And I stuck with cello and she went to bass right away, which is, you know, much cooler than cello, but it's fine. (laughs) Um, But it was just such a refreshing and beautiful take at both some of these issues and, and difficulties that kids have just trying to fit in and trying to find themselves and also how powerful finding yourself through music or some kind of creative outlet can be. What I like about her approach is the format matches the concept, the premise. So like we talk a lot on three clips and in our workshops and our blog posts, it's just the core belief we have about making someone's favorite show. Like the core pieces of a great show are the talent, the premise, and the format. The format being the thing inside the episode, the structure. And in this case, the format is a, is a monologue. It's a solo host, fully scripted and read performance. And that idea so tracks back to the premise that you're teeing up for us, Tally, which is this is really intimate. It is this kind of like pseudo diary. Not that every monologue show has to be that, but it's very much in line with the premise and the, and the emotional plane she wants to get you on. And we'll see this. Um, actually, we won't see this in the clip. So you will just realize by listening to it, she addresses her younger self in a way that is so beautiful and poignant. And how many of us have written letters or just thought of things we wished we could tell our younger selves? So I think even if you don't quite relate to being a musician or even maybe you had a really seamless, smooth childhood, which if you're telling me that, I probably don't believe you. (laughs) But (laughs) we've all had things that we wish we could have gone back and told our younger selves. And the way she presents it in the format of a scripted monologue is so beautiful and really moving. And she also performs her voice a little bit. It's not her natural speaking voice. It is a performed version of her voice because she's kind of evoking her young self in the way she speaks. Um, so help us understand that that's the premise. Help us understand the way she comes at the premise in the episode, Tally. Is there any structuring to the episode? Did you notice any segmentation? Walk me through what takes place inside a typical episode. Yes. So in each episode, she tells a story about a specific moment in her middle school life. And the whole series is a story moving forward. You're going through time um, in her experience in middle school, but the episodes will focus on a story or a like a little hero's journey that she goes on each episode where maybe she's trying to find her bandmates or trying to make friends with a new group of people in her middle school. And you hear this story and they're all beautifully sound designed. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. The sound design is amazing. And at the end of each episode, she circles back 
speaking to Dear Young Rocker. So she starts, she starts the episodes speaking Dear Young Rocker. She gives some advice. She goes into the story, taking you back to exactly how she felt in the moments of the story that she's telling in each episode, and then comes back at the end with this nice bookend, talking to Dear Young Rocker, who was her younger self, with some advice, some forgiveness, and some words to think about that I think all of us can think about uh, when we end the episodes. And just to finish off the facts of the show section here, um, the show is weekly, and you can kind of see how creating a scripted monologue show, it presents fewer scheduling problems. Uh, Maybe there's more prep and writing up front than there is editing on the back end, although as we're going to explore later in some of the clips you brought us, Tally, there is some good editing that goes on, some great sound design. So it's not that you have no post-production in a scripted monologue, but you have a lot more work up front, but still you remove the variables like people canceling on you and having to schedule people. Uh, You remove the variable of having to review multiple voices. So there are some time-saving benefits here. Not a lot, because again, you have to script it well up front. But I know a lot of us struggle to deliver weekly episodes, and I think, as maybe some listeners have noticed with some of my episodes, when you move to a scripted monologue, you control your own fate a little bit more fully. Yeah, that's so true. And I also find that one of the great things about like an interview show is that sometimes things surprise you and, and your interview might take a turn you didn't expect. But if you have a really clear story and really clear points you want to get across and you know you need to hit all of those points in your episode, scripted monologue can be a great way to do that because you are taking control of the narrative in every way. Okay, so let's hear how Chelsea Erson actually does take control of the narrative. And, and I love that as a phrase, by the way, Tally. It's taking control of the narrative because I, I do think that's where a lot of shows miss. Even if they have a great premise, which that in and of itself is difficult to create and deserves more love and attention from a lot of people, even if you have a great premise, the episode structure itself is often left to chance. You know, typically people think about the first few moments, what do you do? Is it the best possible intro? Maybe, maybe not, but people do tend to at least think about their intros and what they're going to do. They think about their conclusions and their outros. They don't really think about the body in the middle. They don't control the experience enough. So obviously, if you're writing out or at least planning out and then performing it all on your own, you control the narrative more fully. You can be very conscious that the whole goal of the audio experience, the golden rule of any producer or host or showrunner is to get them to the end. And so often, we don't have a plan for doing that. With a scripted monologue, it's very much in front of your face when you're preparing this episode, so you do that better, I think. It's a, it's a reminder to do that. So that, that's my little mini rant about one of the benefits of this format. Um, but Tally, let's go to clip number one. Just tee it up for us. What happens in this clip, and why did you bring it to us? Yes. Okay, so this first clip sets the stage for episode two, but don't worry, it doesn't give any away any spoilers, and it won't spoil episode one. So you should go back and listen to the series from the beginning after this. And I love this first clip for a few reasons. We get a, a sense of Chelsea's tone throughout the whole show, which is one that she, she speaks to middle schoolers with empathy rather than patronizing their very real struggles. And I think a lot of times adults fall in this trap of not really knowing how to talk to kids. And she just talks to her middle school self like she's a peer in this way that is essential for the show to work, I think. And this clip gives us this really beautiful nugget of suspense. She's going to close the loop she opens within the same clip, but the ending is so satisfying and made me smile, and it was something I immediately wanted to talk to you about, Jay. Awesome. So let's go to the clip. 
And I promise that after middle school, most people gradually become less confusing and difficult to interact with as they get older. But although I am glad I never have to experience the singular horror of a middle school lunchroom ever again, I do truly envy where you are for one reason. You're about to fall in love. Hard. This is a love that will last you a lifetime. A love that will always be there for you, no matter who else is or isn't, and will bring you comfort through heartaches, career failures, grief, lost friendships, and all the other problems that wait for you on the other side of middle school. But nothing beats the rush of love at first sight, of opening up that box and plucking that very first note on your first base. Wow, I was... I was like smiling just listening to that because I just so appreciate what you're able to do when you are writing and performing what you've written. And I do, you know, there's different styles to this. It is incredibly obvious that Chelsea's reading from a script. Whereas if you go to a lot of public radio shows that are scripted, like This American Life or Radio Lab, or you go to, say, Gimlet Media, they do a lot of scripted narrative style podcasts too because they came out of public radio largely, um, a lot of times it's this in-between where you can tell they're not exactly riffing off the cuff, but it's also unclear, are they actually reading a script? Are they being guided by a blurb or an outline? You know, what what is going on? But I know they have something in front of them occasionally reading it verbatim. Like, that's the sense I get with those kind of shows. So in this case, it's absolutely being read to you. But in a weird way, that's like exactly what makes it work, you know? So there's different micro flavors i guess of the scripted monologue and i think just she owns it that's the sense i got from that clip i don't know what what, what did you take away from that it's interesting what you just said i hadn't really thought about why the format works so well but there is the whole time i definitely knew it was a script and that never bothered me um and that's just interesting to think about it doesn't sound yeah. fake or forced it just sounds like a way to be more eloquent and precise with what you're trying to say and what struck me so much about this clip and just countless times in the show too is the imagery she's able to give us by being so precise with her writing and with her script. She has this beautiful way of bringing up feelings and emotions that you have in middle school from the anxiety of fitting in to the unforgiving anger that comes with hormones and reminiscing on young love in this clip I just thought was so great for many reasons. As a musician, I fully understand falling totally in love with an instrument. And I also love when adult storytellers don't belittle the strength of young crushes. Any kind of crush, whether a person or an instrument or, you know, anything that you fall in love with at that age is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So in this clip, I felt like she was legitimizing that passion of young love of any kind. And it was so relatable and lovely when she revealed at the end that she was talking about her bass guitar. (laughs) I that detail did light me up too. But see, therein is another power of the scripted monologue. I mentioned some of the benefits to, you know, you as a producer and showrunner and the time or resources you have. But another great thing is you can create these little vignettes and little moments and little turns of phrases that, you know, audio being a visual medium, the words you say put visuals in people's minds, you can create one visual like some other human being that she's falling in love with. And you start to try and picture that. You know, some people are probably picturing a boy, some a girl, some are thinking about non-binary friends. And there's all these visuals going on in people's minds. And yet she still uses the written word, the script, 
to then subvert that, to take a hard left turn and reveal that it's her base. And that's that's going to be hard to do if you're just riffing off the cuff, even if it's still a monologue. To get the right precision in wordplay and vivid detail, it's so hard to do what she just did, that delightful moment, when it's not fully written. So that's yet another benefit to you as the showrunner and certainly to the audience who receives such a great, great experience. Yeah, well, just also later on in the episode, Chelsea talks about seeing female bass players and how cool they look like holding down the beat and the rhythm of the music with these very large instruments. If you especially think of like holding a double bass, a woman holding a double bass is a fascinating phenomenon. Um, And that with her explanation of first love was totally how I felt picking up a cello for the first time and realizing I could use it in contemporary music as well as classical music. So the episode just hit all of these wonderful nostalgic feelings for me in ways that I was not expecting going in. So that was really cool to feel understood by Chelsea in this way. And I also have a question about that device she used, kind of that suspense that she gives us when we realize, oh, she's talking about an instrument, not a person. We've talked about open and closed loops in the past on um, episodes of podcasts and also in the MSR blog. And I was wondering if that is still what this is called. Since she closes the loop, so quickly. Yes. So the backstory here is there are lots of heuristics and frameworks and systems that we teach on marketing showrunners. And a lot of them come through on this show. A lot of them come through the blog and the weekly newsletter and, and definitely in the workshops that we use to, to go deeper and interact in live and, and real time scenarios with students. But the, the summary of it all, the way we teach is we say we teach chess, not checkers. So we're not going to say just follow these seven tips and tricks and you're done or here's the one secret to success. We're trying to dig into the hard stuff and make complexity, you know, chess, more accessible. So here's all the pieces. Here's how the game works. Here's what the pieces do. And then you can go do whatever the heck you want. Um, Another analogy we use is we're trying to hand out compasses because we want to teach people to be great navigators. We're not trying to hand out directions on a map because we're not trying to create great direction followers. So that's the preamble. That's the backdrop. Of all of the stuff we do, of all the heuristics, all the teaching, I don't think there's anything as powerful as learning about open loops because it affects everything. It affects the show across the entirety of your your project. It affects each episode or series of episodes even, and it affects down to the tiniest of moments and sentences. Knowing what open loops are, it fundamentally transforms your experience because it's how people who produce content can hold attention, can deliver something that people who are consuming it think, this isn't just something I want to experience, it's something I need to finish. Open loops are super powerful, and I wish I learned about them sooner. And in fact, if you want to go deeper in this, if you're listening to this little rant of mine, search marketing showrunners on the blog for the six types of open loops. Or you can just search my name on Google plus six types of open loops. So let me give you a quick example, Tally. Let's say I said this on a show. I went downstairs, poured myself a cup of coffee into my usual mug, and I read the words on that mug that I always read every day. Now, what are you wondering? What do you always read to yourself? What are these words? Exactly. So this isn't isn't rocket science. It's just that our brains, scientifically proven, want closure. We want closure. So you can open a loop but then you want to close that loop. 
And what Chelsea did so well is she opens this loop by starting to give you sequences of events, give you adjectives and descriptors, and you're anticipating the same thing the whole time she's talking about her falling in love. Who did she fall in love with? You're starting to try and picture this person and assume something is coming that follows the logic of what she set up. And then she does two things that are brilliant. She closes the loop in that next moment. So to answer your question, Tally, yes, this is an open loop. It's just that it's what I would call a moment loop. It doesn't start at the beginning of the episode and give you closure by the end. It starts and gives you closure. It opens and closes back to back. It's about one moment being more irresistible to you, the listener. So it's a moment loop instead of a show loop or a series loop or an episode loop. Lots of different types of loops. Go search for the six types on Marketing Showrunners. So this was an open loop, but she did something really interesting beyond just delivering a moment loop, which is that she didn't follow the logic that she'd laid out for you. She kind of misled you. And that misdirection doesn't always work because we want closure to the logic that was set up for us. If Game of Thrones, for example, gave us this logic that they're in this medieval type world and there's a villain looming over the wall in the cold, in the snow, and we find out that it's Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, that doesn't follow the logic of the opening of their loop. So we would be really mad. We'd be frustrated. But if you can give a misdirection, if you do it tactfully like Chelsea did, it could be really satisfying because people didn't expect it. You still give them closure. It's just not the closure they were expecting. And so it's a really delicate dance. And so I thought that was a brilliant move by Chelsea. She used a moment loop. That's great in and of itself. She also gave you a misdirection, closing that loop or giving you closure in a way you didn't expect. So really great job by Chelsea there. I love that because I think that can be one of the trickiest things in getting an open loop correctly is or getting a loop correct is opening it, but then closing it in a way that satisfies all of those points of intrigue that have come up in your listeners along the way. Exactly. But, uh, uh, let, let's go to clip number two, because this is very quickly turning, instead of a, instead of Dear Young Rocker, this is going to be called Dear Middle-Aged Podcaster. So, <laughs> yeah, so we need to keep going here. Let's look, please give us the context for the second clip. All right. So the second clip that I grabbed happens in the middle of the episode after Chelsea describes cutting her teeth, practicing guitar, and some cringeworthy moments of being an outcast in middle school. She also goes on to talk about the peaceful refuge that time outside of school provided, where she could be as wacky as she wanted with her best friend and play music, as she illustrates in the clip. And throughout this show, I just love Chelsea's use of sound design and want you to pay special attention to the audio elements she uses to enhance the story here. Awesome. And just just a little meta lesson before we actually go to the clip. Tally teeing up the clip the way she did. She performed what's known as a signpost right there, telling you, the listener, Here's a detail. Pay attention to it. Don't miss it. It's important. I'm going to plant this sign right here so you do not miss it. Great use of signposting. So just a little meta lesson, and I think it's important for all of us to do more signposts. Um, This is definitely turning into Dear Middle-Aged Podcaster, so (laughs) I'm going to play the next clip. Colby's who I started my first band with. I don't really want to call it a band because it was just us playing three chords on bass and guitar and yelling in my bedroom. Stuff like... But it was good because I at least was playing with someone else. 
I wouldn't have even started playing anything, though, if it weren't for the Smashing Pumpkins. So the summer after sixth grade, my mom took me to this music store called Jelly's. I felt really overwhelmed looking around at the thousands of used CDs. It was way bigger than the CD store in the mall. My mom told me to pick out one thing for myself, and I went to look around. I didn't really know too many band names off the top of my head, but I didn't want to look like uncool, so I pretended to know what I was doing and flipped through the CDs. Eventually I got to the S's and stopped at the Smashing Pumpkins. I said it aloud to myself, Smashing Pumpkins. And I liked how the words had a pop and a smush, just like it sounds to smash a pumpkin. Okay, so a little earlier in this episode, we were talking about how audio is such an important, it's a visual storytelling medium, even though it's audio. That doesn't totally, it might not make that much sense, but this is a great clip illustrating that, that we need to be able to see what's happening as we're listening to this clip. We can probably all imagine what two middle schoolers who only know three chords might sound like trying to play music in a bedroom, but Chelsea's little recreation there helped us travel back in time with her to know what that might have sounded like. And I've loved the CD flipping sound in the store and her explanation of how the actual sound of the name Smashing Pumpkins reminded her of the act of smashing a pumpkin giving us that button at the end, the actual sound of a smashing pumpkin. It was all just like audio chef's kiss, audio gold. It (laughs) made my heart so happy. And I found it very inspiring too, as someone who sometimes struggles to find the right audio for podcasts. Yeah. So Jay, what is some of your best advice for people who have never sound designed a show before? What do people need to keep in mind? What are some mistakes people make when they're adding sound elements to a podcast? It's, it's, I think it's certainly one of the hardest things to master. I would call myself a, a novice at best at this because every time I think I've figured something out, I learn there's a million more miles to go. So that's just my caveat. Um, an easy first choice is to decide, do I want to get great at using music or do I want to get great at using sound effects? And I would always err on the side of music because when when you use music beds, which are like those tracks you play underneath something to, you know, uh, enhance a feeling. So, for example, the person is describing running away from an attacker and it's like a really terrible moment and stressful moment and, and the stress keeps getting heightened and heightened and heightened and there's more and more anxiety and you can see right there even the way I perform the words there's a certain musicality to it so the music track you select you know it should be a little tinnier it should be somehow stressful it, it should uh not crescendo but the volume should keep getting louder the pacing of it might pick up in an unnatural way you know you wouldn't play some beautiful classical music or jazz under that moment so like That's the obvious stuff. So start there. Start with music and use it to somehow subtly enhance different moments, not distract from them. And that's a hard thing to master. And my best advice for that is you're going to have to act like an athlete who watches their own tape from the the game. Like you're going to have to build the moment and listen to it. Not by looking at the waveform. Close your eyes, look away. If you have to, make it a file you can upload to your Dropbox or to a private link somewhere and go listen to it in an app or on your phone in general like a listener would. But create the moment and then really absorb it. Because if you feel like you can't focus on the words, 
which by the way should supersede the sounds, then that's a problem because you created it. So the listener is going to have an even worse time. So I think like the first step here is try to figure out, is it sound effects I'm going to go with or music to start? My bias is music. Once you feel you've gotten good there, you can start to layer on top of that music different sound effects uh, or in lieu of music, you can use a sound effect. But, you know, for me, the the button, as you said, that's like a really easy way to start using sound effects when you're ready. That little button, that little way you wrap up a moment like the sound of a pumpkin smashing because she said it and then boom, here's the sound effect um, versus the more complex intertwining of sound and speaking and the volume levels you have to grapple with and now music. So uh, the punchline of all of this rant here is this is going to introduce some serious complexities. And so just make sure you're making choices up front to keep it simple. Yeah, that's great. I also, I think because you, when you go into this podcast knowing it's about music and rock music, it feels like the music Chelsea picked has to be so precise or perfect. Or I, I guess as a podcaster, it might make me a little nervous to be like, well, I'm making a music podcast. I better really get the music right. But she really nailed it. So I don't know if she had that concern herself or she was just like, no, I know I know exactly how to give this the right music. Yeah. You know, it's funny. While you were talking about choosing the right music or, you know, from there I was thinking, okay, next she'd have to learn where to splice it in and cut it and raise the volume or introduce the music track. Do you let the listener hear the beginning of it or does it just start so slowly and softly that it comes in imperceptibly until you start to just notice that now there's music. You know, there's a lot of really tiny decisions. Um, I think about the rough cut at the end of a track. You can cut off music unexpectedly as a way to snap people back to attention. You know, if you're saying like, this was happening, then this was happening, but then boom. If you say the word boom, at boom, cut off the music that was playing underneath and leave a beat of silence. That's a verbal cue that whoever was listening, whether they were active in their listening or starting to drift their attention towards whatever was in front of their faces, um, they will snap back to active listening once more. They'll be a mindful listener because they're like giving, you're giving this audio cue of the music suddenly cutting off, like something crucial happened. You raised a little bit of tension and intrigue. So the, the music itself can be part of the desire that we have as showrunners to get people to the end. It doesn't just double up on the points you're making in your words. It should enhance what you're doing. You know, and I think one easy way to do that is the music just goes dead, right? Or the music starts to increase its volume as your volume increases or, or whatever. It's supposed to convey something and serve a purpose for the listener and the story, not just be um, something you add to give off the perception that you have high production value. Okay. Dear middle-aged podcaster continued. <laughs> um, let's go to the third and final clip. Set us up before we play it. What, what's this clip all about? It's from the same episode. And I like how you've kind of given us this beginning, middle, and now something towards the end. So what happens towards the end? It's so funny. I didn't intend to do that. You know, I didn't listen being like, okay, I'm going to get a beginning clip, middle clip, and end clip. But it just kind of worked out that way. And I, I found that very satisfying. Um, but in this clip, Chelsea's talking about the social anxiety she felt during so much of middle school and the way she couldn't quite breathe deeply as long as she felt her peers' eyes on her. And that's all I want to give you for this one. And then I want us to talk about it afterwards. You know those dreams when you try to run, but it's like you're underwater and your legs are all heavy or like don't work right? 
that's how it feels. As soon as I get home, it goes away. I don't get it, but for some reason, the more I think about it, the worse it is. Sometimes I even feel like one of my legs is longer than the other, and it's like I'm hobbling. I try to relax and walk around normally, but I end up clenching my teeth and holding my breath. I wish I could just breathe normally. That's another problem. A lot of the time I feel like I won't keep breathing if I don't think. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And it feels like my throat is always clenched tight and I can't relax it no matter how hard I try. Wow. Okay. Um, what struck you about that? Man, I mean, many things, but mostly the vulnerability that Chelsea displays, as she does in a whole lot of this podcast. This just really struck me as one of my personal golden rules of storytelling, that the most captivating stories are not always the ones you're audience can directly relate to, like even though in Chelsea's case, I did relate to a lot of this episode, but what was so, so striking and what just brought me in the whole time was how honest and personal it was. And I find that's the case with all kinds of storytelling, that as long as you are showing up with something that is true to you, it's automatically a lot more interesting than anything you try to do that will be general or that will, you know, appeal to a mass group of people. If you are telling something that is your story and maybe letting people into vulnerability or honesty that is sometimes scary to share, that's often just so much more captivating than anything that tries to appeal to a lot of people. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And and, you know, what's interesting is I've been thinking about the whole time you're talking about this, you're talking about what she said and how she said it. And I've been trying to think about why we're talking about this show, right? Like why Do we care as podcasters to learn about this show and from this show and from Chelsea? And it just speaks to the power of the audio medium is this form of like intimacy that scales. It can feel like you're having a one-to-one deep cathartic conversation. And that feeling can expand beyond Chelsea talking to literally one person, right? Because it could be one person listening to this episode. It could be millions of people listening to this episode. And obviously, it's somewhere in between. Uh, And I also know that Dear Young Rocker, it's got a very specific audience, very specific sound even. The way Chelsea sounds like she's a little bit younger than she actually is. It's a performed version of her voice. That can grate on some people, but not to the listeners that love this. And I know she shot up the music charts as a result. Um, So anyways, all this to say, so often why we're doing something can inform what we're doing and why Chelsea is doing this why the scripted monologue format can work for anybody. It actually speaks directly to why podcasts, a much broader question, which is this profound sense of intimacy. I mean, more than any other medium, you're laid bare. It's your voice. I don't care how much sound design you have. It's what I would call a naked medium. There's nothing quite like just closing your eyes and hearing a voice and sensing the way the voice wavers when something gets sensitive or stressful or uncertain. Like that little subtlety, it's so difficult to create when you write because you have to manufacture it. Like tone of voice is something that's really difficult for you to master when you write an article. Tone of voice is difficult to master on a microphone because it's not the same as talking to one person offline. Granted, it's a performance, but it's still a lot easier to go from talking to other people and having your natural tone full of all the rich emotions of all human beings to talking to a microphone and mimicking that. It's a closer step than 
writing or talking into a camera and video, for example. So you were talking about what was said and how it was said. And I think this just so ties back to why we do podcasts. That's such a good point. And I was just thinking about listening to this podcast, any podcast, really, you're really listening. Their voice is just in your ear. It's so intimate. It's like they're whispering into your ear in this way, podcast hosts. So it is, yeah, it is the most intimate form of storytelling, maybe. Right. It's a privilege. It's an earned trust. You're physically placing something into your ear, close to your body, you know, inside of your head. And you're like, go ahead and talk to me, so-and-so. All right. We're now coming to what we are calling the wrinkles section of this podcast. What are wrinkles? We believe that creativity is the combination of lots of little choices, lots of little wrinkles in the fabric of the thing you're making. So what is something small? We can all try to execute on this. Yeah, so instead of throwing out your entire show, if you're not doing a scripted monologue, which you'd like to, are there small things we can start to think about, try, or incorporate to our existing show? Or if we're about to launch a show, can, are there small things we can weave into our early process that can get us closer to something as gripping and beautiful as Dear Young Rocker? What are the small wrinkles? A few things that stood out to me about this episode, wrinkle-wise... In the first section, we were talking about how, yeah, it sounds like she's speaking from a script. I think I have in the past gotten afraid of scripting because I don't want to sound too scripted. But I think it's important to remember that if that's the format that works the best for you, it's kind of okay if the audience knows you're reading from a script. If the emotion of your show gets across, if the point of your show gets across, and a script helps you create your world and create everything you need to create within your show, it's probably okay. So I, I would say to that, just know and decide up front as a showrunner how you'd like to sound and like to be perceived. Because the worst case scenario is it comes off as artifice. You're trying to sound natural, but everybody can tell you're reading. You know, I think about like a graduation speech. If you think about a commencement speaker who clearly has a set of notes if they're really trying to make it sound like they're just in the moment coming up with the words, but it's obvious to everybody there that they're reading a script, that's really awkward. People can tell. And they'd prefer that that person just read the script, perform it as a read version of the speech. And, and no one would have a problem with that. You just have to look in the eye, the project at hand. What are you actually creating? Are you trying to do what Chelsea's doing, which is as if I'm reading a letter to somebody? That's great. It's part of the show. The sound, when you read a script, is part of the show. The difficulty, and I think, Tally, you and I get into this a lot, is when we've written something for three clips, for example, and now we're reading it verbatim, which right now I'm not, and people can probably tell, but when we're reading something verbatim and people can tell, even though we're trying to sound natural, that's where people get into to trouble. So I just want to give that caveat up front. Um, so are, are there other wrinkles you notice, other things that people can start trying in the minutiae to build towards a great show, especially if they want that show to be a scripted monologue type show. Yeah, um, about sound design, I loved what you brought up, Jay, to focus on one thing at a time, maybe focus on music first, focus on underscoring your episode, so to speak, and how get good at that, or at least get to a point where you feel like you know how music can help enhance your story, and then maybe try your hand at the fun sound design things like flipping through cassette tapes or a smashing pumpkin. You don't have to try to, you know, eat the whole elephant. Take it one bite at a time. <laughs> Another way of, re of phrasing 
that wrinkle is just that if there's a new element, if you're trying a creative medium that's new to you, focus on one thing at a time. You know, focus on one element of it and get really good at that one element. And then you can work on the other elements. This does speak to the fact that, you know, what is a podcast if not this process of constant improvement over time? The show is a project stretched over time. And so over time, you should be getting better. And so I see a lot of people struggle with this idea that they kind of have, they've picked out in theory their format and their style and their tone. And, or maybe they've done a lot of episodes. I I recently talked to a a podcaster from a software company and they've done like a hundred plus episodes and they feel that the show has been stagnant for at least 20, if not more. And I asked them like, why aren't you experimenting with the format? And they're like, well, we don't want the existing listeners to go away. But I think he was victim of a trap that we set for ourselves which is like, well, this is our format and, and all, it's all I have time for. And so I can't, you know, I can't change in radical fashion and, you know, I can't do that. And, and again, that's not what we're saying. We're saying try to do little better things to nudge things in the right direction or at least test the waters very slowly because the nature of a podcast is you will have a lot of reps. You'll have a lot of episodes because the show is about doing lots of episodes over time. So the vehicle itself should necessitate constant reinvention. I think that's true of all creative projects, but a show almost makes you visualize it because you have multiple episodes and then minutes pass within each episode. So you have all these chances to add little wrinkles. Um, so I love, I love that idea that you mentioned, Tally, of like this, this being one of the, the wrinkles that we can all add. I, I do have one more to add. It's really short. Uh, it's just to start scripting your intros. You know, make the introduction to your show better. Nobody's going to set the tone like you will. Things we shouldn't be doing include lots and lots of housekeeping or lots and lots of recapping what the show is all about. I'm talking at at minute zero, second zero. Like right away, we do that stuff. It's boring. It's needless. We do pull quotes, which is where we pull a, a, a nice sounding quote from our guests, which is kind of out of context and the listener doesn't know why it matters. We put that at the beginning. Well, we don't trust that voice quite yet, but maybe we trust you, the host. Or maybe that person didn't articulate that quote the way they, they could have if they had paused and written it down. But regardless, that's kind of a cliche way to open. It's like ending with a lightning round. It's like we're not really sure why we're doing these things anymore. It's just that lots of people do them. But the best way, I think, to create the best possible intro and also mimic a show like Chelsea's, the scripted monologue, is to script and then monologue, in other words, perform your script, for the intro the best possible approach best wrinkle i think that we can take away from chelsea's show and you can do any kind of format afterwards maybe you do a multiple voiced impromptu interview but that scripted intro will just fundamentally change how much people feel uh, a, a kinship with your episodes and how much the story of your show or your brand resonates deeply with them it's on us to script that out so i'd end with this one thought for everybody If a show is about going deeper with your audience, few people are more equipped than you are to do that. Not your guests, not your teammates, not the smartest, biggest name you can think of in your industry. The trust on our shows flows to us as hosts. And so even if you don't do a show that is built in its entirety as a scripted monologue, I know they're rare, I wish they were less rare, but even if that's not your entire format, remember this one thing. The trust flows to you. Can you use that trust and build on it by writing and speaking directly to your audience one-to-one? Because a podcast is intimacy 
that scales. Special thanks to producer Tally Gabriel for help with this episode. You can hear Tally's theme music. That's right, she's part of a band called Cardboard Rocket Ship that performed the Three Clips theme music. So you can hear her cello every single episode now at the beginning of our episodes. So Tally's not only a wonderful podcast producer, but a great musician. And go check her band out. They have their first album available on Spotify. They're called Cardboard Rocket Ship. They're a great folk band out of NYC. And uh, Tally herself has a single on Spotify as well. It's called story. Thanks also to Casted, our sponsor today. Casted is building the world's first platform specifically for marketers who make podcasts. So if you want to learn more about how to better manage and market and measure your show, not only to help other teammates with their jobs in marketing and sales, but to serve your audience more deeply, to get actual insights from your podcast, visit casted.us to learn more and tell them we sent you. I'm Jay Akunzo, and as always, I believe. This work that you and I do, the show running, the making, the marketing, the evangelism, the serving of our audiences, this work is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So I got to thank you for staying with me, and I'll talk to you on the next episode of the show. See ya. This week's recommended read on the Marketing Showrunners blog is an awesome opinion piece from our managing editor, Molly Donovan, who says, creating commodity content isn't just ineffective for marketing, it's dangerous. She opens this by saying, let's play a little game. Think of the last really great piece of branded content you interacted with. Did it look like so much commodity content? Was it the average type of content that you can remember? Chances are, unless it was the last thing you read right before I asked you this, No. So creating commodity content is pretty ineffective for marketing and building brands, but she goes on to make the case that it's actually downright dangerous to do so. Love this piece. Super passionate about this topic. Check it out in your show notes. There's a link at the very bottom or search the blog at marketingshowrunners.com.